Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Nate Drolet. And together we form Idea and Abilities. Any any clue? Do you know? Not a bit. They are a former Minneapolis rap group uh, signed to Rhymesayers, early Rhymesayers. Hmm. Idea passed away several years ago. But based on their names, Idea and abilities who would you be abilities (laughs) the look on your face when you just said that (laughs) i can accept that i'll be idea uh we are sitting here in my sunroom again in lander i don't know why we chose the warmest possible place to sit right now i don't know i was thinking that as Uh, well and then we closed the door to really seal ourselves off yeah but we did so um, sitting here, Nate is about to head back to Rifle because Rifle has this strange draw on people that keeps them coming back there. Um, so we're just trying to wrap some things up before Nate heads back. And we decided to try and knock out two board meetings tonight. One is going to be fun. One is going to be nuts and bolts. And Nate decided fun first. Yes. Deserve first. Deserve first, he says. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, being a product of your environment. And this was your topic, I believe. And I think it's a good one. I think it's interesting. Uh, What prompted the idea to to talk about this? Um, You know, actually, it kind of stemmed back. I remembered a conversation I had while we were in... Akron, Ohio at the, is it the rock mill gym? Yeah. Um, we were there. That was like our first workshop. Yeah. It was one of the very first ones. Yeah. Shout Um, out rock mill. But so we were doing the clinic and it's, uh, you know, it's a bouldering only gym, but we were doing the, like the open session where people can walk up, ask us questions. So, um, this one guy, we start talking back and forth. I watch him climb and he'd only been climbing like maybe a year or so and you know was climbing fairly well and at one point he kind of pulls me aside and he's like hey nate he's like do you think i could ever climb 513 and i mean he had you know i watched him do like two v6s yeah i was like i I remember this guy yeah i was like yeah i was like hell you get a little fitness you could do it in like a month (laughs) right and he was just like really i was like yeah like totally he was like well I've only ever met two people who've ever climbed 513 and they're like really strong. Right. So this for him was like a life goal. (laughs) And it was one of those things where I was just like, man, like, you know, if you like lived around people who only climbed 513, like you'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah. I'll just go ahead and climb 513 right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about it in the context of this conversation, but when I started trad climbing the 
you know, the idea was that that was not a pun, by the way. I'm idea, your abilities. Um, the idea was that <laughs> <laughs> I completely missed it. <laughs> I almost did too. Um, the idea was that 512 trad was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So that's what I believed. And 511 seemed like this barely attainable goal, you know, and it took this huge mind shift and to, to climb harder. And then it was the same thing when I started sport climbing. There weren't any climbers in Cincinnati at the time climbing 514. There were a couple who had done it, but no one at the time was doing it. Um, So it just seemed like this crazy hard thing. And I got through 513 really quickly because I had a few friends who were doing it. Mm -hmm. So I just believed I could. You know, then it, then I definitely slowed to a crawl after that because i just didn't have many people climbing at that grade yeah yeah it's much easier to copy other people like if you can see if everyone else else around you is doing it then you're like well okay like you know this won't like i guess i'll just do this too like it it doesn't occur to you that it will be a challenge if everyone else can do it right um so yeah that kind of is what prompted it was thinking back on this conversation and really just thinking like if this guy could have like a different perspective of, or even just like realize that it's like, yeah, he's way better off than he even thinks he is. Yeah. It's like, you know, he could easily achieve his goal and then shoot beyond it. Yeah. And I think that that kind of leads into the, one of the, you know, the first things that we decided was, um, a component of this environment that sort of dictates who you become as a climber to some degree, um, is that the people you climb with, play a gigantic part in it, Mm -hmm. you know, in all sorts of ways in your belief in what's possible. And just in the idea that you get to watch it be done just makes it that much easier for you to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even beyond just believing it. Mm -hmm. No, totally. Um, in fact, I, I would say, you know, having known you, relatively early on when you moved to the Southeast and then watching you kind of make pretty big leaps when you were climbing regularly with Jimmy Webb, Brian Bogus, Brad Weaver, that crew. I think that's a large part of it. Oh, you totally. got to go out and climb with those guys. Yeah. I mean, if all your friends flash v10 then you're like well it can't be that hard (laughs) right hey guys let me just try this for like 10 minutes real quick before we walk on Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean that was like huge like being able to yeah just see that i mean it and it that was just it too it wasn't like those guys weren't just like mutants i didn't i never saw them as something just extraordinary or unbelievable they just all had really great work ethic and like they really believed in themselves and I mean, yeah, they never had a doubt that they would climb well. Yeah. You got to see the behind the scenes of it. And I think that's what a lot of people miss when they just see these climbers in the magazines or in the videos or whatever. They see the big send. It seems like magic. You got to see the work that got put in and all the things that contribute to them climbing well. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. It definitely like shaped a lot of my climbing. I mean, especially like, with all three of those guys in, I mean, so many others like Nate John, Rami Anab, like, I mean, just so many other guys that I've been yeah. able to climb around that have been amazing. But, uh, 
yeah, for me, that was huge. Yeah. And I think it can go the other way just as easily. Totally. You know, like you, this whole topic came from a guy who'd only seen two other people climb 513, but he at least had the audacity to ask, mm-hmm. you know, do you think I can do this? Because he met two people who had. What if you're in an area where no one's ever climbed 513? You know, how do you begin to believe it? It's hard. I mean, it's, you know, there are like the very rare cases of people who come out, guys like James Litz, who, you know, the people who really jump ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. James Litz is the Rodney Mullen of of climbing. I hadn't thought about that till you just said that. I thought Dave Graham was a Rodney Mullen. No, Dave, no. They're both kind of wizards. James Litz. Okay. I like James with James Litz better. For this. For this. Okay. Yeah. Um hmm. Yeah. Um because Dave had a whole crew around him. That is true. Yeah. Rodney was solo. James is solo. <laughs> um yeah, I mean it <clears throat> it's difficult. Like, because it is very much a game of perception. Like, you know, you have if you don't believe that you can do something it'll never happen. Like it's this whole idea of like a growth mindset. Yep. Like, and I think that's, you know, it's funny. I think for me, like when, for a long time, like, I guess I always believed, like, I was like, yeah, of course I'm just going to climb V11. Like, because it was to the point to where everyone around me, I ever knew pretty much had climbed V11. And once I got there, I was just like, Oh, like, I don't, I don't know. Like I get, I feel like without realizing I had put a barrier between myself and like, what was beyond that. Right. And it took me a long time to start to like, believe that actually believe that I could climb harder, mm-hmm. which is like a funny thing to think about. Cause it's just like, well, you just get better and stronger and you're going to climb harder. But I don't know. It just didn't quite work that way for me. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I agree. I mean, it does seem like it should be this, um, exact correlation, but it really just isn't. I, you know, looking back, I think I've probably been strong enough to climb, v11 for quite some time Mm -hmm. it's just never been something that i really put that much belief into enough belief that i would actually go out and put time and effort into it you know into the actual climbing of a v11 i put tons of effort into getting strong enough Mm -hmm. but never believed that i had gotten to that level per se so never went out and actually tried the thing. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's a huge thing. Like I remember, I think this is maybe three summers ago, something like that. Um, I was climbing with Alex Steiger, um, who is a coach, climbing coach in Colorado. And I was climbing with her in Rocky Mountain National Park a bunch. And at that point that year, I had already climbed 10 V11s. And she was just like, Nate, how many V12s have you done? I was like, God, I haven't climbed V12 yet. She was like, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? I was like, V12's hard. And she was just like, you just need to go do one. Like, you need to go confidently try one because you're going to do one. And it took me a long time. Like, I was just like, no, you're crazy. Um, But it was actually like her saying that, that later on that year, like that winter, I was like, okay, I'm going to try one. And I went out to try the shield and almost did it like in my very first session and did it you know, shortly thereafter within the next week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was because I think that's big having someone who, even if they're not someone who's just being an example of it constantly, 
having someone who believes in you to that point, who you, even if you don't believe them at first, will eventually sink in and you go, I don't know, maybe they know something I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's important to have. Um, I mean, you've said it to me multiple times. I think you would do really well on this, or I think you would really like this. And I'm like, yeah, I hadn't even considered that I might do well on something like that. You know, mm-hmm. like I have my the things I know that I do well, and that wasn't one that I had ever even thought about. And then I try it, and I'm like, oh, maybe I can do this. You know, so I think that's super important. Yeah, Gotta yeah, keep, keep those around. people around you. I mean, in all. Just one more example. Like uh, I was telling you, I was reading Jonathan Segrist's blog about doing the bleeding. And he said he went out to Mill Creek, was super intimidated because everything seemed sandbagged and heinous. And he was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I won't even try it this weekend while I'm here. And then the person he was climbing with was just like, n- pretty much just like peer pressured him into it. It was like, no, like you're going to get on this. You need to be doing it like third go. Right. But it's like, you know, someone even like Jonathan Segrist like still has these same kind of feelings. Yeah, totally. And I think that's really big. Um, I think Jonathan Segrist is an interesting segue into this next topic um, because he's kind of an old school climber Mm -hmm. um, who grew up in the new school era. And I, I think that's benefited him in a lot of ways. And the, what we're going to talk about is the era that you come up in or grow up in or do most of your climbing in, I think really does quite a bit to dictate your climbing style and what you believe you can do. And I mean, the places you go to climb and what you're intimidated by all of this. Oh yeah. You know, I came up oddly, actually I came up in an era when bouldering and sport climbing were starting to get popular and because I have this like hatred, <laughs> it wasn't a hatred yet. It didn't start <laughs> as a hatred. It started as like this strange belief that the older school knew better. Then I just like blocked out bouldering and sport climbing was like track climbing is way cooler specifically off with climbing because no one (laughs) likes it you know and i didn't realize that there are a lot of smart people out there who didn't like it for a reason um but the fact is coming up trad climbing really wanting to be a good trad climber totally dictated my style of climbing for a long time yeah you know it was very much like three points on at all times you know very rarely do you break that rule the best looking movement is slow and controlled Mm -hmm. you know chris sharma wasn't around yet so of course we didn't know about jumping chris sharma was the very first person to jump ever i don't think anyone did it before him (laughs) no no one ever had (laughs) (laughs) so that totally dictated you know, the type of climbing I did. And and it's very easy, and I've had this argument a thousand times, but it's very easy to think that today's climbers, for them to think that trad climbing is so much harder than sport climbing, and I just disagree completely. Um, I think it's the other way around, actually. 
being relatively well-versed in both. I think it's the other way around because I've seen traddies, you know, the guys that did a lot to teach me go get on sport climbs well below the grade they're climbing in trad and just get wrecked Mm -hmm. because they don't have the skills to sport climb. They don't train in a gym every day, you know? So it just totally dictated the way that I climbed. Sport climbing was really hard, especially having to be dynamic. And that's just the way I learned to do it. Even though I learned in a bouldering gym for the most part. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot that comes with the era that you started climbing. Everything from like what was popular at the time, you know, what your ethics were, um, things along. What kind of tights you wore. kind of tights you wore. Um, They're leggings now. To even just like the speed at which you approach climbing. Like, um, so this is one thing that kind of like grinds my gears is that people still like when someone's trying to get into sport climbing, people will be like, Oh, you know, you know, you need to top rope for a really long time. (laughs) Right. Right. It's like, no, that is the worst thing you can do. Like, so I was climbing at the red and a buddy of mine came down from Canada. He had bouldered a handful of days with me back in high school, but never really climbed otherwise and took him out to the Shire. I let up a five, seven. He followed it after me by follow. I mean, I pulled the rope and he let it because I didn't tell him anything else. I was right. like, okay, here's what you do. And like, he's a doctor. He's smart. He handled it. I was like, this is how you clip. I didn't show him what back clipping or Z clipping was. Cause I was like, you're, I was like, in my mind, he's only going to learn the one right way. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're just going to go up. You're going to clip, you come back down. And then I just like went back up and cleaned it for him. But, uh, yeah, that day did a seven and eight a nine almost did the 10. <clears throat> and, uh, what was funny is a bunch of med students, we're out on their like spring break. So they come over and he's on the 10 and just pumped out of his mind. Of course, it's like basically his first day rock climbing. He's now four pitches in right up on a five ten, Yeah. And, uh, and leading all of them, uh, cause he doesn't know any better and he is a great friend like me. And <laughs> so he's up there and he's like, tries to reach up and clip way above his head. And I was like, Matt's going to be way easier if you just get, get it next to your hip. He's like, okay, once again, blind trust. So gets up. And now he's on a huge jug. It's bolts unclipped as it at his hip and he just can't do anything. He's like, what should I do? And he's way off the ground. I was like, yeah, just go for the next move. I'll catch you. So he goes for it, takes a huge whip. I give him a nice soft catch. It's great. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. And uh, so he comes down, starts talking with the med students. Cause you know, he's a doctor or he was in residency at the time. And they're like, oh, how long you've been climbing? And he was like, uh, he's like, this is Six my, hours. he was like, this is my fourth, cl- this is like, this is my fourth <laughs> climb. And they're like, no, we mean like, you know, total. He was like, this is my first day. And uh, one of them was like, you're leading on your first day? And my buddy Matt looks at me. He's like, Nate, what's leading? <laughs> and so then I like had to explain to him that other people top rope. Um, but the thing is, it's like I've seen so many times, and this is something that like I dealt with, is that you top rope forever. And then there's this huge buildup as if lead, lead climbing is just this scary, terrifying right. thing. Right. And then people are just paralyzed by it Yeah. where it's like, if you just start that way using, you know, learning from someone who's safe um, and you learn how to do it correctly, like it's not a big deal. Like it shouldn't be a big deal, but that is very much, I think a generational thing. Yeah, it totally is. And I mean, I think this, you know, blurs the line between the people you have around and the era. 
Um, because if you're climbing around people of another era, they believe you should be taught in a certain way. Yeah. You know, and not that that's a bad thing to climb around people of another era, but you have to be careful of being led down the wrong path by someone who just doesn't know any better, mm -hmm. you know? And, and those people were conditioned in the same way, you know, by something in their environment. And, and it's totally true. I mean, when I was, when I started climbing, it was just common to go out and start leading. Like there, it's you didn't have to go through a million classes and mm -hmm. no one told you all the rules of leading and, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. And we just didn't know you figure it out. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, I think that's a better way in a lot of ways. I mean, I definitely understand the gym's, you know, need to teach people the right ways because they have liability issues and all these things. But if you're going out with your friends and you're like, oh, you can't lead belayed now because you haven't top rope belayed for 17 hours, then you're crazy. Just teach them how to lead belay and it's going to be fine. Yeah. You know? No, totally. Um, I think another thing that you, the era that you came up with and how that affects you is uh, the what type of training was popular at the time. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, you know, I think like good, simple, straightforward training ideas have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you look at like what good climbers have done for a long time, it's not that different from what we do now. But I think what has always caused problems is what gets popular. Right. So it's like, okay, like bodybuilding style or like a lot of aerobics, mm -hmm. you know, running, not running, doing yoga, like doing all sorts of like fitness training or, you know, maybe I think it was maybe like seven, eight years ago, I feel like hangboarding really got like hit its peak. Like suddenly like it's not like anyone really knew totally what they were going to do with it, but they were just like, I need to be hangboarding. Right. Right. Um, you know, then it was like periodization then not periodization. Like, but really for a long time, like people have, I feel like there has been smart training ideas that have been around, but it is very easy to get influenced by the popularity and the hype that's around you. Yep. What do you think right now? Do you feel like there is a leaning toward one discipline or another? Like we were joking about before we started recording that your climbing is sort of dictated by Chris Sharma. Like, did you start climbing in the pre Sharma era? Did you start climbing in the Sharma as a sport climber era? Sharma as a boulder era or Sharma as a sport climber part two era, or maybe it was Sharma DWS, you know? So it's a lot of people's preferred style was dictated by Chris Sharma mm -hmm. and his, his phase at the time. Um, do you think there is a preferred discipline right now or is it training mixed? Oh boy, you might be right there. Like, and you know, I say that half jokingly, but I feel like right now training is very popular. It really um, is. And the thing is, it works. Like, it definitely and does. I'm not going to say it shouldn't be popular. Yeah. You know, if we, done correctly. We do correctly, make a living that way. Yes. Um, if done correctly, at the right dosage, it works really well. Was dosage a Chris Sharman 
upon uh, at the right dosage for <laughs> it's, it's done really well um but i mean in all honesty like i think that is i don't know i can't think of anything like it's tough to like try and look outside the bubble that is like everything I read is about tra- training and stuff like that. And like, yeah, yeah. if someone comes up and wants to talk with me, you know, most likely it's they want to talk with me about training. So, like, this is obviously what I hear the most about. But I think we're kind of in a wave where that is what is popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and even there was an interview with Alex Magos and Dickie Korb on, I cannot remember the podcast, it was a German podcast. But uh, the podcaster, he was just like, so what's your take on the uh, America, what the Americans do, are doing right now? It seems like they're really excited about their barbells. Um, <laughs> and he was very aggressively like poking fun. And Dickie Corr was like, no, I think it's good. I think like, you know, training, if done well, is a good thing. Like, you know, we shouldn't be turning into power lifters. Like, but if you're doing it well, like it can be good. Yeah. Um, but so if even like the outside European perspective is that we're now all turning into lifters who climb, not climbers who lift, then, you know, maybe it is becoming a thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it is kind of one of the things that sort of permeates all of the disciplines. Um, aid. Yeah. Aid climbers don't really train, do they? Maybe they do. I don't know. Do people still aid climb for God's sake? I hope not. Um, (laughs) um, because I think now, and maybe it's just that there are more climbers in general, but it certainly seems like there are a lot more climbers who are totally open to doing all three bouldering trad sport, Mm -hmm. um, and do them all regularly within a year, you know, and that wasn't the case when I was coming up in climbing totally you know people were sport climbers or they were boulders or they were track climbers Mm -hmm. you didn't really mix them up very often yeah um so yeah you might be right training might be the the popular style of the era right now sport trad bouldering and training yeah um yeah no i i think that's actually an interesting point that there are more people who are multidisciplinary um which I think has been great. Like, I think one of the greatest things to happen to sport climbers is bouldering. Like, consistent bouldering mixed in with sport climbing is amazing. Yep. Well, I think that's true with track climbers, too. I mean, yeah. if you look at all of today's best track climbers, they're all bouldering at a relatively high level, training in the gym, sport climbing at a relatively high level. You know, they kind of do it all. Um So I think that's been extremely beneficial for rock climbing in general. Mm -hmm. It's this pervasiveness of bouldering. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Do you think that the, the training as a sort of a, uh, you know, the popular trend of the era, does that break up by, area where you're climbing are there are there zones where people don't train as much for sure um i think this i mean this is like coming from the southeast like people are getting more into training but i feel like they're always a few steps behind from what people do in the west um like in colorado and further west they're just yeah a little more obsessive with stuff like that yeah um and in the southeast also there's kind of this uh 
attitude that you sh- you shouldn't be There's trying too hard against it. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh that that's cool if you climb hard, but it's way cooler if you try climb hard without trying to climb hard. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of that weird thing. Um, but we're trying to change that over at Crux Conditioning with yes. Paul Corsaro. So Make go see up. him if you don't mind the stigma that all the old school Southerners put on you. Yeah, if you want to climb hard but don't mind trying, you know, go to Crux Conditioning. um what are your thoughts on that yeah i i mean i think you're right i think there are areas where it's different and that's you know that's one of the other um aspects of this product for your environment uh, that we decided to talk about is that area and your you know the area style that you grow up in is going to make a huge difference in your climbing and i was i rewatched recently um, Wind and Rattlesnakes, the film about the history of lander climbing. Oh, yeah. I've been meaning to rewatch that. And there's a, a scene where Steve Bechtel is talking about BJ Tilden, and he says, you know, BJ has developed his whole style around this area. And at first I was like, oh, you know, he's totally right. And then I was like, I'm not sure he is. I think maybe the area has developed BJ's style because there are monos on five tens here, mm-hmm. you know, there are tiny little crimps on five elevens. There are huge moves on, on five tens and five elevens, yeah. you know? So coming up through that style, his fingers have gotten really strong. He's gotten really strong at shallow monos. He's gotten really good at getting his feet high and making giant moves to precise pockets on starting on slabs and then going to vertical and lightly overhanging and then steep things, you know? So this area has really dictated what type of climber he's going to be. Um, and you know, in particular, BJ's done a great job of branching out, but his, his core style, another pun there, (laughs) his core style is very much built by wild iris yeah and i think that happens to a lot of climbers i completely agree um yeah what are some you know and it's funny too because it it's a style of both both the area and um the weather of the area so for instance you look at like people who live in the uk and where it rains all the time because of the area that they live like they're amazingly strong not the greatest rock climbers um, right. Like they send hard, but like they're just viciously strong because yep. they just don't get to climb outside all that often. Mm-hmm. They spend all their time in the cellars getting crazy, crazy strong mm-hmm. and no sunlight. <laughs> and they're a little pale. Yes. <laughs> no, no shade thrown. Uh-huh. Another pun. Yeah. I'm getting good at this. Oh God. This is, this is worse <laughs> than my dad jokes. Um, what are some other areas that you see? Ooh, I actually have a really good one. Um, so one of my favorite climbing styles of all time is uh, Drew Ruana. He's a younger climber, and he grew up climbing in Smith. And very much how BJ is like has been formed by this area. Like you watch him, he is such a precise climber, and he can climb. And he climbed there when he was like tiny, and it's big moves on like bad right. small holds, precision. Yep. And he can climb so large and like very precise 
Uh, and it's cool to see he's just got like a really rad style, especially for someone his age. Mm-hmm. Like normally you see people like kind of teenagers, like they lean more towards like a gym, like a gym style, like a gymnastic, like climbing right. gym style. Right. Um, but he just moves really well. And it's yeah. cool to see. Yeah. Very deft with his feet and, you know, just it exudes that he's a good skilled climber rather than just a super strong climber. Totally which is what we see from a lot of younger climbers mm-hmm. who come up in the gyms. Yeah, totally. And I mean, just to, since you use Drew Ruana, I'll use Drew Mack. I mean, Drew Mack is definitely a Red River climber. I oh, mean, yeah. he's, he can hang on forever and ever and ever and, and knows that that's his, his wheelhouse, you know, and that's because that's what you need to be able to do in the red. You know, you don't need to be precise like Drew Ruana. You can just paste your foot anywhere on any of the 42 jugs that are nearby and just keep climbing, keep hanging on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not to say Drew Mack's not a good rock climber because he is, but that's just to say his style has been very much dictated by the style of the area. Yes, totally. Um, <clears throat> you know, this is something... Dave McLeod used to talk about how back in the day, this was before videos. If you wanted to see like a great climber and you were from the UK, like you needed to go to France and go watch these French climbers just swim their way up overhanging limestone because the way they moved. Yeah. The way these guys moved because that was the way you just moved there, like was just incredible. Mm -hmm. And like having gotten to go into Seuss last summer, like, it's cool. You can definitely tell the French climbers like they have just very much their own style. Yeah. And it's cool to see. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about the weather and how the rock sort of determines, you know, the style of climbing on the rock determines what type of climber you are. And there's also the availability of routes in your home area oh yeah you know that really can dictate what type of climber you are and, and what you know what levels you're able to reach um i was i was listening to the ledge podcast with alex magos one day hiking up to wild iris and he commented and i had to stop and rewind it because i couldn't believe what i'd heard but he he said that they were talking about a list at the franken that's the top 100 list the 100 hardest routes in the franken and he mentions that everything on that list is 8c or harder which is 14b and that blew me away coming up in the red river gorge when i got to 13c there were five yeah. You know, and there were maybe only eight routes harder than that, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. So to have a hundred routes at 14 B and harder at your disposal for you to be able to test out and try and find the ones that fit you so that you can get stronger to try the ones that don't fit you to move on to the next grade. That's huge in your development as a climber. Um, so I think that's a massive you know, massive advantage. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, you look at, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think why so many European sport climbers are, they just outstrip the Americans is Mm -hmm. because 
they go to so many areas, like they learn from so many areas and they have access to so many routes. Like I think Andra, whenever he was, I don't know, something really young, but still wildly strong, like 12, he like dedicated a year more or less to just on siding. Right. And he could do that because he had just thousands of routes at his fingertips. Right. Right. Um, which is rad. Like I think, there, yeah, there's a huge advantage to that. Um, and I mean, while it's a, while it's a huge advantage to you as a beginner climber to live in the Ritterer Gorge, it's not a huge advantage when you're a 13 plus climber. Um, you just don't have that much to choose from, mm-hmm. you know, but when you're, if you're looking to climb 512, the Red River Gorge is a fucking amazing place to be. Almost endless. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, I think it just goes without saying that the two best sport climbers on the planet right now are guys who are from areas where there are thousands and thousands of hard routes to try. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. And I think even saying area also, um, kind of two more things on it and these are joined together and one is how easy is it for you to travel to different areas like two different styles right, right so if you're somewhere where you can climb on sandstone granite limestone like nice all within a few hour drive like you can develop a lot of skills and like really round yourself out much better than you know if you only have like southern sandstone or something like that yep absolutely um but also an area can also shape you in that. And we see this with people who live out West where the weather's always good. Um, they just climb outside all the time and never take the time to like actually train, which some people can get really strong and very good with climbing just outside. And for some people, it just doesn't work as well for them. And so maybe the best thing would be instead of just going outside, just because you can year round, like on the days when it's in the nineties, like maybe you should actually train. Yeah. Yeah. I, I work with quite a few people who are in that situation where they want to be climbing outside all the time. And it's kind of a constant struggle to say, well, can we dedicate a block of time to flipping the ratio to more indoor time, less outdoor time? We don't have to stop climbing outside, but Mm -hmm. let's flip the ratio and cherry pick the days outside instead of hoping for a good day in the middle of the summer when it's the worst conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally true. Um, let's let's talk about the the last one, and then I think we both probably have some questions about this. Um, but it doesn't just come down to the the area, the outside, the people. I mean, since the advent of gyms, gyms have been very different. Totally, and. And being from Cincinnati, which, which actually was one of the earlier areas to have several gyms, um, the two gyms that we had were radically different from each other. Um, climb time started as like a 20 foot top rope walls. We had a one really steep, almost a roof lead wall and, and we had a giant 45 and and a couple of other small bouldering walls at the time and then it's since expanded its bouldering options turned the lead wall into a bouldering wall and still has the you know the top rope walls that essentially have just become bouldering walls you know most of the most everything ends 
halfway up. Um, so it's, it's a really amazing bouldering gym. And then we had rock quest, which had some of the, the first like big steep walls had a huge roof out the Mm -hmm. ceiling, you know? So when it was built, it was this pretty state of the art sport climbing gym. Um, and you can tell the difference between the people who climb mostly at rock quest and the people who climb mostly at climb time. They're radically different climbers. The people from climb time can do huge moves. Um, they can grab much smaller holds and they fall off about 12 feet up (laughs) (laughs) all the time. Um, and the people from rock quest can't do the hard moves at all, but can climb forever and ever. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's totally a gross generalization, but, but it's pretty easy to see the difference between the two. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think that happens everywhere. Like most cities or towns have, I mean, a lot of places have multiple gyms now. Um, which is kind of crazy, but like, it's very common to have like a training gym and then like, you know, the more flashy gym. Um, yep, totally. And yeah, I mean, when I was in Houston, I went to one of the newer gyms and it's, it was absolutely beautiful. Like it was amazing. I mean, literally everything you could imagine, but at the same time it was like, you know, a lot, most of the people there were like on their foot, like texting on their phone, like playing on their phones, doing stuff like that. Like, the type of setting was not maybe conducive for people who want to prepare to climb outside. Right. Um, and things like that. So it, while it was like beautiful and a ton of fun and like I had a blast, like, you know, if I wanted to prepare to go climb hard, like that's not where I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for a lot of people that's not like going to different gyms isn't an option. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a big thing that you need to, really pay attention to is what are you preparing for and is your gym is are the people you climb with are these things that you're doing preparing you for whatever your goals are Mm -hmm. um let's talk a little bit about um get rid of your friends (laughs) get rid of all of your friends fire them you can do that um let's talk a little about like how to how to sidestep, how to avoid the pitfalls that your environment might be kind of putting right there in your way. Um, so let's start with the gym pitfall that we just, you know, we're just talking about what are the ways you can avoid becoming very steeped. There's another pun in your gym style. Um, I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that. Um, man, <clears throat> trying to climb with different people. So like change what nights you go if you can. Um, I'm a big fan of both climbing alone and with people. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to do both. Like a lot of people I've noticed this trend with a lot of people who like to, who are really psyched on training also end up being the people who like train alone a lot or they climb alone a lot. Um, and you know, it's definitely not like a hard and fast rule, but it's fairly common. And I think that can be a real shortcoming. Yep. Um, like I can't say how often, like how often enough when I talk with people are like, Hey, I'm stuck in a plateau. One of my first questions is when you're in the gym, who do you climb with? And they'll be like, Oh, you know, I climb with, you know, my boyfriend or my girlfriend or whatever. And 
I'm stronger than them. And then maybe that's about it. If there's some, someone else like trying the same problem, I'm already trying, I'll climb with them, but otherwise no one. It's like, they never have someone <clears throat> like right next to them, pushing them. And like, when they're like, uh, I don't want to try that thing. Like it, you know, secretly it's like, they don't want to try a boulder because it's going to be hard for them. And there's, instead of having that other person who's just like, Hey, we need to go get on that. Like you need to go get on that. Like they can just kind of go get on something else. Yep. They're like, oh, I'll just go to the hangboard because I could always use stronger hands. Right. One of the things I like the most about climbing with other people is just making up boulders too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's been a ton of fun these last few days climbing with you in the yeah, machine shop. Because you're going to make up things that I wouldn't think to make up and I'm going to make up things you wouldn't make up. And yeah. And I like climbing on things that I think are stupid. They make me better. So <laughs> I love climbing with you. It's great. Like you make up a lot of good, stupid boulders. <laughs> Come on now. And then we have boulders we, are classics. We yes. <laughs> and the machine shop. <laughs> They're classics, man. Come on now. Um but um, it's yeah. it's been great because it's like very much of the things that you make up, like I would never even see or notice. Right. And then I think vice versa for mm -hmm. the most part. Totally. Yeah. So I think that's really important way to break out of your style if you're in the gym, <laughs> sort of being dictated to by the the setting style of the gym is make shit up and have your friends make shit up and play around, make up silly things, you know, and do ludicrous things. That's, that's huge. Um, area style. How do you sidestep getting trapped in that? I mean, we've seen people do it, right? There are people like, um, Michaela Kirsch, who is a red river climber, but can go out and do things like necessary evil. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's really fucking impressive. Um, and it's because she, and I think because she also does what you mentioned. Let's spend some time in the gym training really hard, training the things that aren't what we get in our area. Yeah. She's a really strong boulder. Yeah. Like having bouldered around her just a little bit, like I've always been really impressed with how well she boulders, um, which yeah, as a red river climber, the trap a lot of people fall into Rachel Melville is that <laughs> they just want to keep getting more and more endurance. Shots fired. Yes. Um, she knows I love her. Um, go bouldering is what I'm trying to say. If you're <laughs> living in the red, you don't need more endurance because that's what you already do. Right. right. Like instead you should be bouldering in your other time because you don't need more fitness. You've already got it from where you climb. Yeah. I fell into the trap. I mean, you know, I was trying to train specifically for the red. So I was just getting more and more and more pumped. Yeah. And you got to the point where you could shake on almost anything. Right. Until you couldn't and what you couldn't, you were falling on. <laughs> right. Yeah. If I could pull on it, I could shake on it. Yes. That's pretty much what it came down to. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think something like what Michaela does is really smart travel, go bouldering, climb on other types of rock, mm -hmm. Mix up try hard things on those other types of rock, get frustrated, you know? And even where you live. And train a shit ton. Yes. If you have to. Yeah, if you have to, like that's what you should do. But even like depending on where you live, like you can climb other styles. You know, like mm -hmm. if you're in the totally, red. Totally, totally. Some of my favorite routes in the red are really hard little boulder routes. Yeah, absolutely. Like those are, I think, some of the absolute best. And really amazing vert routes. Swahili yeah. slang. Yeah. I mean, no, there's some great technical routes. Uh, I was just 
when we were making that list with Drew Mack. Um, mm-hmm. I was super proud of him that he put no redemption on the list. Yeah, totally, man. Um, you know, yeah. nice technical route. Drew's list was good. It was a variety, which a lot of people skip over in the red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can get suckered into just climbing on the undertow or Madness Cave or, <clears throat> you know, basically just the entire mother load, mm-hmm. um, which is great climbing, but it is one niche style. Yep. And it can be vice versa. I mean, uh, I'm not going to call you out here, Lee Smith, because you've definitely switched things up and, and I'm really impressed by that. But it used to be that Lee and, you know, there are lots of other people like this who they deemed themselves not very good at the steep routes. They weren't um, inspired by the steep routes. So they spend all their time doing the few but really good vertical routes that the red has to offer. You, you know, know, I hear the best way to get better at something is to avoid it. It's totally true. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're willing to, to just make up that you did cool things. <laughs> that's what I would do. Not Lee never did that. I, that's what I would do though. I would just make some shit up and then never have to actually get good at it. <laughs> um, people you climb with, we already answered this one. You just get new friends for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah. Leave your friends. They're slowing you down. <laughs> um, but for real, this is actually like kind of a tough one and a topic of a future episode yes. that we'll be doing. But, you know, sometimes like there are people that are amazing to hang out with. Maybe they're even great to boulder with, but you don't need to go sport climbing with them. Like yeah. they're just a drag. They want to do two pitches, call it a day. They're scared. They're you know, whatever, they don't want to try hard. They're not motivating you to try hard. Um, and, you know, like, they can be awesome people to go out and get dinner with or, like, hang out with. But maybe if you, like, if your goal is to climb harder, like, maybe, like, make a separation. Be like, hey, yeah. like, let's go out in a group of four. Like, you can find another per like, you can have another person to climb with who, like, wants to be on your same plan of, like, hammocks and snacks. Yep. And uh, I'll climb with someone else who wants to, like, try hard. Yeah, totally. Just don't put your damn hammock across the trail. Yeah, don't do hammocks. Yeah, you can bring it to the crag if you just hide in the woods where no one can see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I talked a little bit about this in the episode with Scott and Tyler um, about being good partners, that sometimes you just have to have to go looking for people that are better for your rock climbing and mm-hmm. cultivate those relationships instead of just accepting that what you have is what you got. Um, and that can be really fucking tough to do, but I think sometimes it's just necessary. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Like I, I look at my best seasons, especially of sport climbing. And it's always been when I've had like my best climbing partners, like as far as the people who motivated me the most, the people that just like, we like could draw off each other's energy. And it was like those same seasons were also their best seasons as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think it has to be, you know, they have to have similar goals to you at that time. It doesn't have to be you're both working on the same route or even that you're both working on the same grades. Totally. But you just have to have similar goals in terms of um, you want to put a similar amount of dedication into your goal and they coordinate with each other. Mm. Um, you know, you and I haven't climbed outside a ton together largely because since we've been working together with the power company, I've been 
almost exclusively focused on the business. Um, so I haven't been, and I know that I haven't been able to be a good outdoor climbing partner, you know, and that's just something I have to sacrifice right now. Um, I do want to get back to that and I look forward to being able to spend next winter in, in Waco and climbing together more, you know, or in the red or wherever we end up climbing together more outside because I know that I haven't been able to be a good partner to this point because I'm always distracted by something work related, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that's important to know. I think if, if era is your problem, then you're just screwed. You should just give it up. Um, By it, you mean your pride? Yeah. Pride and climbing in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I think, you know, I think you just have to have an open mind. Just look around and, Rock climbing is really fun in lots and lots of different ways. So just try to let go of these ridiculous beliefs that you've held on to because of what, whatever era you came up in and realize that things are changing and they're going to change with or without you. So if you want to be angry and, you know, always just frustrated at the way the world is, then you're welcome to do that. But if you want to have fun rock climbing and you want to get better at rock climbing, then maybe accept that change is needed. Yeah. Have you ever, have you had any favorite moments where someone of a, the new, of a newer generation than you, like kind of motivated you or inspired you? Yeah. You know, I, I've talked about this one on the podcast before. Was this when I broke the banana? <laughs> no, but I actually just told that story again the other day. <laughs> um, no, and this is this is kind of a gym thing in that and a fixed mindset thing to some degree where I was able to there was this V8 or something in the gym on the 60 and I was able to do it without this huge dyno that was intended. Mhm. Mm um I was just able to do the move in a fairly comfortable way. It didn't, I didn't understand why you had to do this big dyno. Um, but then I saw this younger kid just do the dyno. And I was like, holy shit, I can't do that. You uh -huh. know? And it, of course my ego is immediately like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, he would never do that 90 feet up if he's pumped, you mm. know, but I would do it my way. Uh, but instead, I, I sort of forced myself to try it. And when I realized I wasn't even sure how to do it, I just asked him, like, hey, will you do that again? Like, I think it's cool. And I watched him do it again. And then in four or five tries, I was able to do it his way. You know, he was never able to do it my way, though. <laughs> no, but that, you know, and I've, that's happened a lot of times where I've watched the way younger climbers who are really really stoked or really bouncy or whatever they just have different attributes than me whatever they are um that i've watched them and gotten really inspired to to climb more or climb harder or climb different or whatever it happens all the time nice that's all awesome. about you 
Uh, yes, actually. You are one of the younger climbers, actually. Ironically, well, it's funny because like I have to go back in because you practice being so like snappy and bouncy all the time because you're trying to get out of sloth mode. Yeah, um, I think I'm. I think I'm out of it. I know you were saying that today. I think you're. Well, here's what's funny I'm is damn like, near out of it because like I forever like one of the biggest breakthroughs for me was learning how to do what I later like started referring to as rooting, like mm-hmm. what we turn into like the applied body tension, like entire process. And so that's like how I love to climb. Like for me, it's like, I want to get as extended as possible, like on a steep wall. Cause that's like, for me, that's such a fun form of mastery. Right. Um, and so we were just in the gym the other day and you know, you had that little crimp problem where like everyone was just jumping to a hold. Um, and even like people who were like a bit taller than us, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this, keeping my foot on. Cause in my mind, that's like step one is like, how do I do this? Like do the big move, keeping the feet. And so I did it that way. And then afterwards I was like, man, but this is going to be harder for the, for me just to like jump to the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it ended up taking me like twice as long to do it that way. Right. So it's funny that I actually like have to remind myself to like revert back and you're the, it's even funnier that you're the one that reminds me that I need to be like <laughs> more springy sometimes. That is pretty funny. Like, yeah. So, like, that's definitely one example of kind of the opposite. But one for sure, uh, years ago I was watching a youth comp in person and there's a girl from Stone Summit who she was on lead and just watching her climb, she just committed to every move 100%. Didn't yeah. matter if it was a jump, didn't matter if it was horrible feet, <laughs> if everything looked awful. She was just like, even if she was like pumped and falling apart, like it never showed and she was just committing so well and it was cool because it like looking at that i was like i i don't do that like i know for a fact not on my best day do i do that yeah and but i can also recognize that like if i can teach myself how to do that like i will i mean tomorrow i would climb a letter grade harder yeah unquestionably you totally just reminded me of another young climber that i'm continually inspired by is it continually or continuously could it be both yes i don't know (laughs) i'm not the english guy well i'm i'm always inspired by this person i'm continued Um, to be and that's carrie scott oh yeah i mean since we since we met her in the gym uh at triangle rock club i didn't expect to see her climb as well as she climbed Oh, I totally remember because she was forerunning because she was one of the coaches and there was the kids comp. She yeah. was forerunning one of the problems and we were standing next to each other and she like went up and I like leaned to you, next to you. I was like, she's climbing really hard. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. She's super strong and a really good climber and, and I didn't expect to see it. Um, and I was surprised by it. And, and it, it wasn't that I didn't expect to see it because she was a girl or anything else. It was just because a lot of climbing coaches end up becoming coaches before they become good climbers. And they never get around to becoming good climbers because they're trying to be good coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's totally fine. Um, but it's the majority, I would say. And that's what I expected to see. And that didn't happen. And then after she after she did proper soul, which we talked about on the podcast, um, she didn't, she didn't stop there and she didn't 
just keep reaching for the next higher grade. She also went back and did things like the racist, which super proud first female ascent, which, yeah, which I think might be the the proudest ascent I know of that she's done. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Col- she did Coltrane, which Coltrane is badass, but I think Mego said is like w- top five in the world. But the racist has these massive, massive moves that mm. oh, I'm that familiar. A lot of people would have told her you can't do it. Yeah. No, I remember when I first moved to the new people straight up told me, they're like, no, it doesn't go like for your size. Like, and she's, I mean, maybe only a half inch or an inch taller than me, I think. Um, yeah. And just the fact that she's extra ultra positive, always smiling and just a super cool human. Yeah. You know, I think, I think if I had to pick a young climber today that I was most inspired by, it'd probably be her. So, uh, I think that's about all we got here, and we got another podcast to do. Yep. So, we need to wrap this thing up. Um, And you guys already know where to find us powercompanyclimbing.com, at powercompanyclimbing on Instagrams, on the Facebooks, and on the Pinterest machine. Um, You can look for us on Twitter, but you know the deal. We don't tweet, we scream like eagles. This time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this time.